Hello, hello. I'm your host, Stephanie Martinez Rivera, and you are listening to the Joy Found Here podcast. I am obsessed with reminding my fellow mamas, queens, badass babes, ladies and girls that perfection is just a word, not a lifestyle. Multitasking is overrated. Comparison is a theft of happiness. And yes, you can put yourself first. Oh, and by the way, for optimum results, you should. I'm a New York girl from a small town, part-time badass, proud mama bear times three. I've seen 60 full turns of the sun. I've learned the importance of how kindness begins with you and your self-talk. Join us each week as we help you navigate both the messy and the magical season of this crazy ride called life. Real stories that remind us to reclaim your power. The sun does come out after the shitstorm. A good cry can be cleansing and We really don't know who sits on top of the mountain of judgment. Sit back, plug in, fill up your cup. This is your time. Remember, you've always had the power. Welcome to Joy Found Here. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. So a lot of cool things get to happen when I record, and I'm finding this, I I enjoy experiencing a lot of firsts. So today is a first. Today is my first repeat guest. And I am so thrilled and elated that it happens to be the one, the only, the author, Susan Cushman. And we're back again, because if you remember from episode 20, And if not, go back and listen to that one, because that was full and juicy and so interesting. So I don't know, we have a new book to talk about, and I'm so excited for this. We're going to start again from the beginning, because there's more stories to tell, and I'm curious to see how she's going to start her framework. So I say, wonderful to see you again. Thank you. And welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You know, who can resist being on a podcast called Joy Found Here? Because I think that's what I've been looking for through all of my writing, healing, peace, and joy, Mm. all of it. And so my eighth book, Pilgrim Interrupted, is the main thing we're going to talk about today. And I enjoyed speaking about John and Mary Margaret. Yeah, that was a great story. And I'm Susan Cushman from Jackson, Mm -hmm. Mississippi now living in Memphis, Tennessee, and I turned 71 this year. So as I was telling Stephanie earlier, because this is my eighth book in six years, five or six years, I got a late start. So I have to keep going as long as the brain is working. My first book, Tangles and Plaques, A Mother and Daughter Face Alzheimer's, of course, was a memoir about my mother and I and our our relationship and her battle with Alzheimer's. And she died in Six years ago next Tuesday, actually. Mm-hmm. And of course, I worry about the tangles and plaques in my own brain. So I think I need to get mm. everything in writing that I can in case they're going to get me, you know. So I'm going to be have it all in writing that I possibly can by then. So um, and, and leaving a legacy. I like it. And leaving your words behind for generations. I hope so. I hope so. So Pilgrim Interrupted uh, comes out June the 7th pretty soon that it launches. And uh, so I don't know if you want to ask me or you just want me to talk about it. So it's a collection. Yes. Versus a story. Right. And it is a collection of your essays. 
primarily. It has a few poems, mm-hmm. and excerpts from previous books, some of which are fiction and some are nonfiction. So mm-hmm. it's pretty much a mixed genre book, which is a little unusual. The thought process, how did it come to play? How, when you sit down, well, even before the thought process, do you ever get a chance to, I'll say, revel in your success in your accomplishment again it was a year ago perhaps or a little more than a little less than a year ago that we sat and we talked because you had just had uh, John and Mary Margaret come out do you rest on any laurel and like high five finish line go me and enjoy the fruits of your labor no I thought that would be the answer I was hoping. <laughs> my best friends encouraged me to do that, and I just can't do it. I think some of it's OCD that I always have to have a new project going. I always have to have something creative going. Now, that doesn't mean I can't take several years on a new project, mm-hmm. which I did with my first novel, Cherry Bomb, which came out in 2017. It took about five or six years, but it was my first, you know, but that same year, I had three books out that year. I had the memoir, Tangles and Plaques, A Mother and Daughter Face Alzheimer's. I had um, Cherry Bomb, the novel. And I had an anthology I edited called A Second Blooming, Becoming the Women We're Meant to Be. Now, anthologies, I've edited three or four of them. And they're a totally different process than writing a book. Because basically, you invite other authors to contribute their works. Mm -hmm. You put it all together. You do the sections and the quotes and you edit And so it's more of a craft project. I have a friend, Neil White, an author friend who teaches a workshop called The Art and Craft. And the art part is a creative part where you get that story down. It may be messy, you know, or you some shitty first draft. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the craft is when you you edit and you organize. Well, see, editing anthologies is really more about the craft. And but writing a novel, I've written two novels and a short story collection and um, a memoir, and all of that was about the art. Mm -hmm. So this new book, Pilgrim Interrupted, is about the craft in a way. The only way it's about the art is that I did write everything that's in it, but most of the collection is previously published. So most of the pieces in here, the essays especially, and the excerpts are published in previous books, journals, anthologies, magazines, my blog, various Mm -hmm. places. And so I gathered them together and they began to take shape kind of like a memoir. The book has six sections and each one kind of deals with an important part of my life. Mm-hmm. So the first section, icons, orthodoxy and spirituality, I could have written a whole book on that. And I'm sure I'm going to explore it more. I'm a convert to the Orthodox Christian Church from the Presbyterian mm-hmm. faith. And so there's a lot I studied and wrote and painted icons, as you can see from my mm-hmm. studio behind me. So that's about the spiritual side of my life. The second section, writing, editing, and publishing, is just that. It's about my journey as a late life career in writing. The third, Alzheimer's, caregiving, death, and dying has to do with not only caregiving for my mother with her Alzheimer's, my father and several other family members and close friends who were dying, and I was with them through hospice and wrote a lot about that. The fourth section, family and adoption, our three kids who are now 39, 40, and 45, and then they have married 
various people and have mixed race granddaughters. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot about family in that section. The fifth section is called place. Place as a term that writers are aware of, the importance of place in your writing. And so I'm kind of playing off of that a little bit with uh, some of my previous writing. And the last section, mental health, addiction, and sexual abuse is perhaps, well, not perhaps, it is the most personal section of the book. And let's see, everything in there, all but one thing, one essay were previously published, Mm -hmm. but I've never done a whole book dealing with that. My blog, which has been around since 2007, used to have Mental Health Mondays, Writing Mm -hmm. on Wednesdays, and Faith on Fridays. I no longer Mm -hmm. follow that format, but the Mental Health Mondays was the one I got the most response to because people are interested in, in hearing and writing about addiction, eating disorders, sexual abuse. Also wrote about joy and peace yeah, yeah. and healing. Yeah. The flip side of the coin. And staying on that in today's time where not a day goes by that you don't read about or hear about people's, I'll say, heightened anxiety, especially in our young children today. Suicide rates are ridiculous in the young people. And I don't know how it is by you. We, you hear there are, you know, in your neighborhood, people you may even know how close it might hit you, where these, I'll say, air quote, seemingly fine kids who seem to have it all. And then you hear that heartbreaking news and it just stops me. Right. I I do personally know people who have lost their life by suicide and who have close friends and family who have, and Mm -hmm. often they are young people. I don't know any actual children, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. teens and young adults. Right. Yeah. I haven't known anyone from a personal firsthand standpoint, which makes me, you know, always just question and wonder and, and feel so bad that the struggle was so hard that that was the option. Right. We all have the struggles. We do. But maybe it was just, you know, an extra dose of faith or wherewithal on that particular day that kept us going so that we saw what was on the other side. And even if it was just that little glimmer of light coming through. Exactly. I mean, the the people that I know personally are who have close family members who were young adults or teens, there was always either an involvement of bipolar, mental mm-hmm. illness, depression, mm-hmm. or drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Some of all of those were involved. So I want to talk about, and I think we had talked our first time around, but let's keep it fresh, your story with your mother and the Alzheimer's and that journey. I think I had shared that my aunt, my very close aunt, you know, had also gone down that path and being, we're in the month of May when we're recording, it's Mother's Day, it's my mother's birthday, who's been gone for 37 years next week. So she's here. So I just felt it perfect to let's start with that. And you wrote about it so beautifully and honestly, because a mother-daughter relationship is not all unicorns and rainbows oh. <laughs> at all. 
<laughs> at any stage. <laughs> There's a quote in my book, Tangles and Plaques. It says, the tangles and plaques are not only in our brains, but often in our relationships. Mm. There was one, and, and speaking of the quote, and I wrote it down because um, it spoke to me as far as, oh, actually, it wasn't the essay with your mother. It was your friend, Urena. Urania. Um, Urania, first of all, beautiful name, and just that <laughs> journey that yeah. you went through at her end game as she was getting ready to cross. And I think it was at her memorial when they said, or one of her children said, you know, what will we do without her? Yeah, it was actually a friend of mine that said that. And um, uh-huh. Urania didn't have Alzheimer's. She was oh, right. just no, she, she was yeah. elderly. But I was yeah. with her and another other, other people with her right near the end. Mm-hmm. But she was very much a yaya, mm-hmm. a matriarch in our church, in our parish. So a lot of the women my age looked up to her like she was a mother. Mm-hmm. And ironically, the person I quoted saying, what will we do without her? Mm-hmm. Uh, another dear friend actually lost her life to Louis body disease two mm-hmm. years ago, which is a different version of dementia and Alzheimer's. So that's kind of ironic that she's mm. the person I quoted in there. And now yeah. she's, she's joined Urania in heaven. Yeah. And then they get to be together. And then they went on to say that I guess we'll have to grow up now and it's our turn. Right. And and then that was especially true in our parish because uh, we were a, a fairly young parish and we've grown a whole lot now, but there were very few elders. There were very few mm. women in their 70s and 80s, you know, when mm-hmm. we started out. And now there are more and more, you know, and now we are. That's the kind of the point I was I was going to because I know like in our family dynamic, my mother-in-law passed three years ago three or four years ago, and she was the matriarch of the clan. And I find myself next in line, like, how did this happen? (laughs) And now on the brink of, since last we spoke, one of my daughters got married and now she's uh, expecting and we're going to be grandparents in in, uh, this summer, which we're very excited about. And now it seems to make a little more sense to me, like, oh, of course I'll be the matriarch, you know, but at first I was just like, nope, how can this? No, 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 no. But it is an interesting role. It is. It is. And one that I was slow to step into. Like, mm-hmm. like there's, there's one person in between me and my mother. My mother is 20 years older than me. And halfway between there, I have an aunt who stepped in as a matriarch when my parents died. And now she's gone. You know, it's Tag you're like, it. Yeah. I know. And she <laughs> kept up with the family tree and kept up with all the cousins and kept people connected. Yeah. So I found myself in the last few years seeking out some of those cousins connecting some of those people, getting us together. Mm-hmm. And uh, joy has been found doing mm-hmm. that. Sure. Yeah, it is interesting. It's It might seem daunting at first, but again, it, to stay connected, which is what everybody wants. It doesn't mean, you know, you need the every Sunday family dinner or anything like that, but at least check in with everybody and check up and see how everybody's doing. And, you know, Alzheimer's, it's probably something I'll continue to write about because mm-hmm. of course it was the main theme in my memoir, Tangles and Plaques, but it showed up three more times in my writing so far. 
You know, mm-hmm. it showed up in John and Mary Margaret, two of the mm-hmm. main characters. One has Alzheimer's, one has Blue Body. It showed up in a short story in my short story collection. And now it's shown up again in Pilgrim Interrupted. So unfortunately, it will probably continue to be a timely until and if we find a cure. Yeah. And it is one of those diseases, I'll say, that it does rob you twice. It's once that person starts transitioning and regressing back in to their life and the role reversal, and then all of those new relationships that have to be formed when you thought you were pretty well set, you know, you were still in a good relationship. Okay, you're the mother and the daughter, and, and we can see even though we're grown adults and and then the role reversal. Exactly. That's what it is. It definitely is. But it's also interesting that you mentioned another line in in that essay was how you would, when you would go to uh, see her, you would enter her world. And I know we've always spoken about this, and I find it so important because I learned that with my aunt and we were, I was fortunate to be at a support group early in the, in the process. And that's what the leader had said to us, giving us the basic education. And this is what's really happening. And this is why they're acting like this. And this is why they're saying what they're saying. And you have to meet them where they're at because they don't have the ability to be in this world. Right. And you don't correct them. Oh, never. And, and yeah. you answer the same question over and over as though it's with a smile, time. as though it's the first time you're okay. hearing it. And it's hard for some people. It really is. And I, and I know that it's a lot of denial. They don't want this to be so snap out of it type thing. And it only leads to frustration on right. both ends, obviously, but finding a little humor. It does help because you have a choice that you could laugh or cry. I choose to laugh about it and or I could cry. But laughing will make me feel just a little better because, again, there's nothing else that we could really change on what's happening. Right. And again, there's more and more people out there that if you're not affected firsthand, well, you know somebody that is and you know, our friends, we have now many friends that their parents that they're blessed by still having here on this earth at an advanced age, perhaps, and they are dealing with that. And first I say, wow, he's 92. You're so lucky. Uh, And then it's okay. It's fun to almost find out like where they're at in their life. And you can still also find out a lot of for me, I found out a lot of like family history that I never knew about because my aunt happened to and her teenage early 20 years where there was some family dirt and stories that you never knew. Right. So what gave you the idea besides I'm writing a book or to make this the collection versus come up with a whole new story? <laughs> because the work was mostly done. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, lo- I love the honesty. 
had, I had two or three ideas for a new novel. And I, on each of those ideas, before I put this collection together, I would write the first chapter. And if I don't really love the first chapter, I'm not going to keep writing because I'm going to love my book twice as much as anybody else. Mm-hmm. And if I don't love it, the readers are not going to love it. In each case, there was something that wasn't working. I couldn't figure out what to change to make it work. I was kind of frustrated with it. And, you know, I could have just kept going and keep going until I find another one, find another one. But I am very product oriented rather than process oriented. Okay. I, I wanted another book. So I thought, you know, look what you've already done. And so many of these pieces were only read by the people who happened to read the magazine they were in or happened to read that journal or happened to read Ah, okay. So they didn't get a lot of circulation. Whereas all brought together in a book, they will get more circulation, a lot of new readers. And I had an opportunity to pick and choose some of my favorite essays Mm -hmm. and pieces from various places, which was very rewarding going back and looking through it, all of that, and Mm. picking out what I wanted to put together. And and I wanted it to be a pilgrimage, which is why it's called Pilgrim Mm -hmm. Interrupted, Mm -hmm. because I've been on a pilgrimage my whole life, a spiritual pilgrimage, a mental health, personal pilgrimage, Mm -hmm. friendship pilgrimage, a wife and daughter pilgrimage. You know, all of this has been a journey interrupted, of course, by life itself. And uh, the title, can, should I tell you about where the title came Please from? Please do. Uh-huh. There's an essay in the book called Pilgrim Interrupted that was not previously published, but I wrote it after a trip, an actual pilgrimage to Greece in mm-hmm. 2008. We went with another couple, and ironically, the wife of the other couple had a recent diagnosis of Alzheimer's, mm. and they were also Orthodox, and she wanted to go to holy places and pray for healing and pray for peace and grace in her situation, knowing that she was going to be facing Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And she knew my mother. Uh, she mm. visited my mother in the nursing home a lot. So we went on this pilgrimage together. But there was one particular story that happened on the island of Patmos in Greece. Mm-hmm. And the name of that short story is Pilgrim Interrupted. And the reason it was interrupted was we were in the cave of the apocalypse which is one of the holiest places in Christianity. And it is where St. John wrote revelations and was given the revelation to write the gospels and all of that. And in this cave, they have church services, very small chapel inside the Mm -hmm. cave, very Mm -hmm. historic. So we were there on a Sunday morning, the two couples of us, very few other parishioners, maybe five or six or eight people, a priest and an altar boy. And that was it. So we were praying. We were doing the divine liturgy, which is the Orthodox version of Mass, the Catholic. Mm-hmm. We were doing the divine liturgy in this really holy place. It was very prayerful. And then suddenly, this real perky, blonde-headed woman with a clipboard <laughs> in and goes up and starts talking to the altar boy during the service. And they're nodding their heads, yes, 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 yes. And then she waves over toward the door, and in come dozens of tourists who've just gotten off the cruise ship at the bottom of the hill. And they're coming in there to see the cave of the apocalypse Mm. in the middle of our worship service. I write about them in their khakis and white kids and fanny packs. 
coming in, taking pictures, even though the sign says no pictures. Correct. Correct. Talking around at everything. And this lasted at least 30 minutes of the oh, church. Wow. And so we're sitting back here, the priests in the altar area up there, and between us walk all of these tourists taking pictures and looking around for third. So that's where the title Pilgrim Interrupted comes from. And so there's one of the essays in the book is that title essay. I was chuckling while I was reading that. I was very, and I had a very good picture of it happening um, when you're all of a sudden, it, it here you are in this holy spiritual place during a service during mass you're not just there as of just a visitor you're actually engaging and here they come as part of their excursion right they're bothering my spiritual moment <laughs> and then afterwards we went and had coffee with the priest and mm-hmm. the server and a few of the locals who were there and I asked him about that and I said how often does that happen he says fairly often and I said well does that bother you And he said something, I didn't put this in the story, I should have, something to the effect that, um, well, what a wonderful way way for hundreds of people to see the Greek Orthodox Church service in action. Mm. You might never, ever see it. And I went, yep, my Uh bad. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh, uh-huh, love that. I love how you also, let's stay on the spirituality a little, you write about boys in charge, (laughs) talk to me because I mean a lot of things and then your take on it was like I never thought of it that way boys in charge and yes how Jesus that essay essay had not ever been published before and if Mm -hmm. you were looking at the title there are parentheses around some of the words Mm -hmm. so the full title says Jesus said the boys could be in charge Uh parentheses around Jesus said the boys could be in charge. Boys right. in charge. It starts out sounding very feminist, very strongly feminist. You know, mm-hmm. like, why did Jesus say the boys could? And it goes on to tell all the things that the boys did wrong. You know, Peter denied him. The things the apostles did wrong. And mm-hmm. all the great things the women saints did. Mm-hmm. You know, but then, as you see, it moves from that into my very deep love and veneration for the mother of God who was fine that Jesus said the boys could be in charge, you know? So it's feminists that read it are going to love the first part of it. And they may not like the ending. Sumant Kidd, one of my favorite writers uh, has written a lot. She's a strong feminist writer, but a very spiritual person and has written a lot about the mother of God and our take. And she writes about the feminine mystique and goddesses, the goddesses Mm -hmm. and all of that. And I really Mm -hmm. embrace some of what she says, but I think that if she had the same embrace of the Holy Virgin Mary that I had, then she would be in a different place. You know, that's kind of where we part ways a little bit. So you're the first person to react to that essay. So, well, you know, my launch doesn't happen until the 7th. So I Yeah, no, because it made sense. I definitely understood in the beginning, you know, like, well, and how Mary said, it's okay for the boys to be in charge. And then... I just kind of like how right at the end, again, I hope you'll read all of it because clearly I'm horrible at paraphrasing anything, even when I write it down. But at the end, when you said that Jesus, how much he admired and loved his mother and by gifting her the word blessed. Right. I loved that part. 
Yes, absolutely. You know, the, the miracle where Jesus turns the water into wine at the oh, wedding. At the event <laughs> with the guests. <laughs> it was hysterical. So the, the servants are panicked because there's not enough wine and they go to Mary and she says, she points to her son and says, do what he tells you. And he tells them and the miracle happens because they do what he tells them. So anyway, yeah, I have a, a great love, you know, as a Protestant converting to the Orthodox faith. I know a lot of Protestants who kind of struggled with the mother of God and how much we venerate her. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have to come to understand the difference in worship and veneration. And this is true in the Catholic faith as well. You know, we worship God. We venerate Mary. And there is a difference. She's not God, but she's the mother of God. And we pray to her and we believe she protects us and she helps us and she heals mm. us. And she's more accessible to me as a woman. Very true. And definitely one of my go-tos. It's always been actually one of the medals I've also always worn. I think I got it on my communion was the uh, uh, Mother Mary medal. And yeah, and, and maybe it is the feminine power where you don't have to be the lead singer you know, the tambourine or the back of the tambourine player or the backup is good because, you know, as a tambourine or the backup singer, you know, you're you're still calling it. You know, you still have the power. Right. So you take your collections and were there some that didn't make the cut? You mean this collection? On this one here. Like when you were putting it all together, were there some where you thought you were going to add? And then when you had your little mix together, you're like, no, I think this is good. Or you knew exactly what you were going to include. I started out with pieces that had been published in um, journals and publications mm-hmm. like like First Things, which is a fabulous publication and another one won an award and another, you know, so I went with for the ones from the top first that okay. I knew I was going to use. Mm-hmm. And then I went to ones that were published in lesser publication. Mm-hmm. Then third, I went to four places and then, and, and each one, I'm just gleaning things. I'm gleaning things. I never took anything and then threw it out. Okay. I gleaned more and I gleaned more. The third place I went was to my blog, which I had, have had going for over a decade. And mm-hmm. I went through, essays in my blog that were about any of these issues and I I chose the ones that I thought were the best and then the fourth place I went was to my previously published books and I pulled out excerpts from Cherry Bomb the Novel from Tangles and Plaques from John and Mary Margaret Mm -hmm, from the mm -hmm. library. I would look at the sections and would go what's missing here what I need a little more so it was really more a process of what I need more rather than what I want to take out. Gotcha. It was a whole lot of fun and so different from editing an anthology by other people. Also, the editing was really easy because so much of this had already been published. Right. You don't change things when they've been and they've been edited. So they're not going to have many errors. In some ways, it was one of the easiest things that I've ever done because the main work had been done. I just mm-hmm. organized it. I wrote an introduction. So how long did this process take? Not long. Once I decide to do something, I'm pretty quick. Other than Cherry Bomb, that first novel that I took so many mm-hmm. years on, and that was my that first was a personal, right? Yeah. Right. But once I decide to do a project like this, 
I hop on it and it happens pretty quickly. And I also, it's the first time I've ever had a book that I put pictures in. I saw it. Yeah, I saw that. And, and oh, that actually you. popped up kind of right in the right time, especially because you described in the first part, all of the icons and yeah. And then your own personal pictures too, to tie yeah. it all together. I love yeah. reading a memoir that has photographs, you know, that has images mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. So that was a whole lot of fun, choosing those images to go in there. So that was different. That was the first time I'd ever done that. I think what else was a first about it? I don't know. And it just it worked out really well. You know, Brother Mockingbird Press down on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi did it, and she's wonderful. So, yeah, I'm, I'm real pleased with it. I had a lot of fun with each of the sections. It's come as we speak. It's coming out. By the time the listeners do hear this, it will be available And again, I I go back to my, do you sit back and enjoy? Let me, you know, high five celebrate for the week. I know you just came back from a glorious trip. When do you then start again? Well, the first thing you do is a book tour. So Mm -hmm. for most of my books, I've gone on book tours for weeks at a time. Okay. Days at a time, and then maybe I'll go for a while and come home and Mm -hmm. go for a while. And I'll do anywhere between 20 and 40 events. Wow. This book is a little different because it's a spiritual memoir. Mm-hmm. So it's going to have a different audience than a novel or a short mm-hmm. story. It'll have, I've contacted people at churches. And I was going to say. And because there's a whole section on icons and iconography, and I have painted icons, I'm even going to be speaking at a art museum's league, you know, mm-hmm. and those kinds of things. So I'll probably do fewer actual book tour events and do mm-hmm. more podcasts, I hope, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I've created a PowerPoint presentation to do, uh, especially for churches and groups that are want to see more details mm-hmm. about it. And as far as what I'll do next, um, I actually already have a book contract out for June of 2023. And it's another anthology that I edited with essays by other writers. And it's called All Night, All Day. Life, Death, and Angels. And it's mm. all about angels and near-death experiences and end-of-life issues. And it has essays by about 25 women authors. And it's already pretty much put together and edited and uh, is with that press, but it won't come out till June of 2023. So we got to so wait a little while. Yeah. Yeah. It usually takes about a year from the time you get something put together. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes 18 months, depends on the publisher. Mm-hmm. So knowing that that's there mm. kind of gives me a year to revisit if I'm going to write another novel. Mm-hmm. Like there's no rush because it, right. it would be for 2024. Mm-hmm. 2025. So I'm going to try to slow down. I don't know if I can or not. Something tells me. <laughs> <laughs> Even though it sounds great in theory, and again, you just took your you know, beautiful, what was it, two weeks that you said? You just went to the French Riviera. And so that's wonderful, two weeks out of 52 in a year. But still, it's something tells me you still have a lot more that needs to be shared. And there's other things that um, I like to do. This is my full-time job. I don't have mm-hmm. another day job. So the mm-hmm. other things that I like to be involved with, I love to teach writing workshops. Mm-hmm. There are opportunities to do that. I've taught 
memoir writing workshops, spiritual writing workshops, um, fiction writing workshops. So there are opportunities to do that and I already have a couple of those lined up. And I drive homeless women to a shelter mm-hmm. on Monday nights where they spend the night, but that's just during the cold weather. So I'm kind of on a break from that. Mm-hmm. And I have led a writing group at a senior living facility mm-hmm. and, um, and also speak with their book club. So I'm always exploring especially things dealing with homeless or elderly, mm-hmm. because those are two things that are very close to my heart. And always looking to serve. And then I'm active in my church, though not as much. I used to be more active, like um, I was a church secretary, and I was mm-hmm. a newsletter editor, I was mm-hmm. chairman of committees. But the younger people are doing a lot of that, thankfully, the next generations. They will learn. So they will learn. It's their turn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have women's study groups and and I love it. We have a sign up genius to fix meals for people when they're sick or have a baby or mm-hmm. you know, I love to do that sort of thing. So I'm really living my best life because I'm getting to choose what I want to do with my time. Mm. I consider it very precious. I live it kind of fast, but I am starting maybe to slow down a little as I get a little older. I think that those numbers are just numbers. And I don't know if you feel like you wake up one day because I just turned 61 and I'm just like, how did this happen? Because it's just a number and you're engaged. And more importantly, you're doing what you love. Right. I'm very blessed to be able to do that. I really yeah. am. Yeah. Yeah. I miss my family. My, my children and grandchildren all live in other states. If they were here in town or I was in their town, I'm sure there would be a lot more involvement than just a few times a year. One thing I'm doing right now that I just love for Mother's Day, my daughter gave me a one year, I don't know if you call it a subscription to mm-hmm. Storyworth. Have you ever heard of Storyworth? I, I have. So I have started writing every week. I get a prompt from them. So like this week's prompt was um, tell us about your grandparents and you can write everything you want and you can include pictures. And at the end of the year, because it's once a week, there'll be 50 some odd stories. You'll get a printed book. I'll get a copy. My daughter and my granddaughters will get a copy of it. That is such a treasure. What creative gift. Yeah. I'm loving doing that. Um, so, so that's called, again, Story. Story Worth. W-O-R. Story Worth. That is such a great idea. And especially with the grandchild on the way and I'm finding myself getting more or thinking more about legacy. It's more of the memories of what you could leave behind, because after that, that's all we have. Yeah, which was, wow, this thought this was such a beautiful idea, you know, that, mm. that did this. Her daughters are six and 10, and my mm-hmm. other two granddaughters are 11 and 12. They're all about to turn one year older. And so it'll be a great age for them to read it. And I'm yeah. thinking to write about things from when I was their age. Yeah. So that a yeah. 12-year-old can see what her grandmother was doing when she was 12. Because she actually used to be a 12-year-old girl, which mm-hmm. they only see you as you because that's all they know now. What do you mean when you were you were in sixth grade too? How can that be? And yeah, it was a brilliant idea, the story worth thing. And I, I can't wait to see the finished product, but I'm, I'm going to enjoy the year 
of doing this. And yeah, you can, you can go back and edit like, you know, they're all staying in there on your computer for the year. I mean, StoryWorth has them mm-hmm. and they'll put the book together and print it. But anytime you want to, you can go back and add a picture or edit something. Oh, I love that. I'm oof. Because so if glad. you think about it, I mean, you could just do that without their prompts. That's already done for you. Mm-hmm. You, know, mm-hmm. get the prompt says, you know, tell something fun that happened when you were 12 in sixth grade. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to trying to think of something specific on your own, which, you know, may, maybe there's only 10 of them instead of 52 of them. And yeah. Oh, my goodness. That is. I love that. I'm giving a plug to that company because that was a smart idea. Okay. We're shout, shouting them out, putting them in the show notes contact them for sponsors. Yes, we could. Absolutely. I think that's a fabulous, fabulous idea to get out there for every story to be told and shared. Because there's so many, like I said, even going back to my aunt when she was in a certain time where I found out a lot of stories that you don't know about. You just don't know. And that kind of then made sense about one certain aunt was this way or I'm like, wow, that just there's so much information out there. And now in today's world of overload, stimulation, information, but only three seconds at a time, snippet, 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 that's all you're going to get when in fact there's take some time to learn the story. Right. Because everything's getting shorter. You know, blogs were all the ah. place forever. And then they went to Twitter, you know. hundred, Yeah, the characters. And now yeah. it's reels. And now it's, you know, I don't even know how long a reel can be, you know, and TikTok can only be this long. And, and that's all you're going to get. You're going right. to get this little snippet and you're missing everything else behind that. You're missing the context. And with story worth, there's no limit on the words. You can make each story as long, mm. which is neat because it makes the book longer, which makes it more expensive for them to print. But you've paid a one-time amount, which I don't know what is because my daughter bought it. <laughs> Even better. That, that I, was. I can write it as long as I want. <laughs> <laughs> it will go on and on. But you know what? It's one of those, again, it's in the heirloom that just stays because it's the history and the family and that's what it's all about. I love the whole idea and it all circles back to the writing and just sharing and knowing and and, and you've written from very personal standpoints as well as fictionalized and people don't think that their life is important their life is substantial, their life is exciting, whatever that definition is, when in fact it is. Right. That's one reason I love um, Brene Brown Mm. and her whole writing about you are enough. Mm -hmm. Because one thing that um, a lot of people struggle with, but especially if you were uh, abused as a child, Mm -hmm. that your whole life struggle with not feeling like you're enough, with always trying to get more, Mm -hmm. whether it's more friends, more popular, more food, more mm-hmm. alcohol, more mm-hmm. clothes, more houses, more love. It's like you you want more and more instead of knowing that you are enough. I love Brene Brown's writings because she really emphasizes that. And I try to tell myself I'm enough. And that self-talk gets everybody. It even gets her because then we can be really convincing 
to start the chatter of who do you think you are? Of course, you don't deserve that. And it's a natural form of progression, but at the same time, it's a practice to recognize, stop. And I love Brene so much that in my intro, I've quoted her FFTs, fucking first times when you're scared and what's going on here. And we're like, as long as you can name something, because fear unnamed is bad. It's the unknown. It's you're walking into the dark abyss. But if you recognize this or say, oh, I know this is how I feel when Harvey comes along, whatever it is, then it's it just gives that brain a moment to take a pause. Let's reset. Let me not, you know, just run from whatever it is. It might be easy. It might not be that because I've named it or she has a lot of great insight and shortcuts to just trick us to reset. Love, love her. So this is coming out in June. You're going to be on a little different path as far as where you're going to be in front of, but the book will be available anywhere. It's already available online for pre-sale. And, mm-hmm. uh, and the launch is at Novel Books here in Memphis. And I'll be at Lemuria Books in my hometown of Jackson, Mississippi. Mm-hmm. I have not heard back about the panels for the book festivals. The Mississippi Book Festival, the Southern Festival of Books in Nashville. I've done several festivals over the years. And you submit your book and they decide if you fit on mm-hmm. a panel. So I'm waiting mm-hmm. to hear those. And this is, again, it's a little unusual book, so I'm curious to see mm. um, because it is very spiritual slash religious. It absolutely well. is. And if they're brave and give voice to it, because again, it's stories that need to be heard. Thank you. I hope so. So hopefully. Well, I look forward to the next book, my friend. I look forward to reading my email that says I've written another book because <laughs> I'll say, of course. We get to talk to you again. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Stephanie. This has been a pleasure. And then anybody else looking for you in the social world, where are they going to find Susan? My website's just my name, www.susancushman.com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Goodreads, Amazon, everywhere. Okay. Check her out. It's worth the read. It's just... Very, very honest, very funny in some parts. And there were definitely some keeper lines that go into my book of good lines that I really like. Thank you. As always, I thank you and continued success. Appreciate it. All right, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love talking to everybody. You know that. I clearly love talking to authors. I'm just so curious about the process and love that we get to read and devour and share their works. So website, I want to hear it, joyfoundhere.com. Anywhere you listen to your pods on Apple, on Spotify, we're doing this. And during this crazy time, just remember, you've got this and be well. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Joy Found Here podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, please share it with a friend. And of course, if you haven't already done so, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Don't forget to head over to joyfoundhere.com for any questions, comments, and feedback. 
Until next week, keep your head up and your crown straight. You've got this.